Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are to discuss the importance of completing the vaccination regimen and to describe remdesivir clinical trial data. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, happy to be here and thank you. And uh, I see we have a number of questions this week. Yes, we do. And our first question is, if someone tests positive for COVID fully vaccinated, how do I know it's the Delta variant? Since Delta is more contagious, are there any changes to isolation requirements? Well, the, these are, are excellent questions. And I would say both for patients and uh, clinicians, you won't know uh, if the virus affecting you is the Delta variant. Most of the uh, sequencing efforts of the viruses are done well after uh, the patient probably has already recuperated. And it's not uh, information that's integrated into the healthcare record, but rather is used for public health reporting purposes. However, that being said, as of this uh, third week in July, uh, the CDC is reporting that 83% of cases in the United States are due to the Delta variant. So you could probably bet uh, that uh, Delta is indeed the uh, likely cause of your COVID-19 infection. Now, uh, it is more contagious. It's estimated at 50 to 60% more contagious than the alpha variant, which was even more contagious than the so-called mother or original uh, virus that uh, emerged uh, and was described in Wuhan, China. To date, there are no changes in isolation requirements because of this. It doesn't clearly seem more virulent. Uh, so um, it's still the same in terms of the length and duration of isolation and for quarantining if someone is exposed, if you're not immunized. Okay, thank you very much. And our next question, what should we advise patients if they miss their second dose of the mRNA vaccine? How urgent is the need to catch up? Well, this again, uh, uh, I think has probably changed a bit since earlier in the year because of the emergence of the Delta variant. What we know is uh, for most people, the first dose of either the Pfizer or the Moderna uh, vaccine does not offer substantial protection against the Delta variant. And it's only with this second dose 
that it appears that sufficient immune responses, which we measure mainly in the way of neutralizing antibodies when we uh, do research studies, but whatever the immune components are that offer protection, it is with the second dose. So if someone has not gotten a second dose, and this is estimated to be about 17%, of Americans, I would say now uh, more than ever is the time, even if you're weeks to months afterwards to go and get that second dose to boost your immune responses that typically take a week or two for substantial effect because in many of our communities, uh, there are hotspots of uh, the SARS-CoV-2 infection due to the Delta variant. Okay, great. And will we be getting booster shots for the Pfizer vaccine in early fall? Is my vaccine from December still working? Right. So booster shots are what a lot of people want to know about. Um, Pfizer as a company is organizing uh, efforts at um, revising the vaccine uh, for potential uh, third dose administration. And then there are other efforts using the existing uh, mRNA vaccine and administering it as a third dose. Uh, two countries, Israel has already started giving booster shots to certain people that we know don't respond well to the vaccine. That would be patients, for example, who have immunodeficiencies, active cancers, liver transplants, and so on. And interestingly, the United Kingdom has announced what they call a phase three program to um, uh, give a third booster uh, to anyone over 70, uh, people uh, who might have an immunodeficiency condition, um, and uh, also for frontline health workers. To date, uh, the United States is not recommending booster shots. Uh, and it looks like uh, the vaccines offer uh, sufficient coverage at this time. There's uh, no um, uh, recommendation, at least in the United States, where we've predominantly gotten the message RNA vaccines, mostly from Moderna and Pfizer. Remember uh, that uh, in the United Kingdom, for example, uh, more people have gotten the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is different uh, than the Pfizer vaccine or others. So uh, this remains an area of interest and uh, we'll, we'll see the number of breakthrough infections uh, have not been substantial enough uh, yet to suggest even people like myself who've been immunized in December uh, are not having sufficient protection. And again, it's not so much uh, the breakthrough infection, but rather uh, protecting from severe illness that I think uh, most people are looking at to guide us whether there's a need for a booster. Okay, and here's another one. Um, if a patient is on weekly low-dose oral methotrexate, so 10 milligrams a week, will they be able to achieve immunity from the mRNA vaccines or from the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? So this is an area that um, I think is uncertain, and uh, it's hard to make a blanket statement because uh, some people, due to the condition that they're taking the methotrexate, may not respond as well. And then others uh, may also be on extra immunosuppressive uh, um, uh, medications. Uh, we do know, for example, from renal transplant patients, that a substantial number of people do not have measurable antibody responses, even after the second dose. So this is something that... Um, 
We don't yet have what are called correlates of protection. Just because we can't measure antibodies doesn't mean that they're not protected from severe infection. So again, uh, I think if someone does develop SARS-CoV-2, my advice at the moment is if they're on, immuno, uh, 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 on immunosuppressive medications, they are diagnosed with SARS-CoV-2, this is an excellent time to go ahead and administer uh, monoclonal antibodies as an outpatient that can help uh, give extra uh, um, impact to helping prevent uh, severe illness. Uh, at the moment, uh, there's no recommendations for checking antibody levels because we're not quite sure what they correlate with in terms of protection, um, or a third or additional uh, booster um, uh, uh, doses for the Johnson & Johnson. But again, we'll see where this lands um, uh, as time goes on. Okay, and what do we expect for the flu activity this coming year? Do you think that we will see pre-pandemic influenza activity? Yeah, so I, I must tell you, I don't like forecasting, but if we just look back um, over the last year and a half, uh, there have been three respiratory seasons, um, two in the Southern hemisphere and one in the Northern hemisphere. And influenza has not been a major presence. I think it's difficult though, because for example, Australia and uh, New Zealand have maintained a bubble, whereas uh, South America is certainly uh, very active with COVID disease in many countries and Africa as well. So <clears throat> it's hard to judge what will happen. My sense is these are the things I believe may influence the fact that we'll see more uh, influenza this year than the minimal activity we saw this past winter. Uh, the first are that schools will be back in session. Uh, children are one of the main reasons influenza is spread in communities, um, reason why children should be immunized against influenza. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, uh, there'll be a, a less restrictions. Uh, people are, uh, may not be wearing masks, uh, they'll be traveling more, and so on. So I think we will see return of influenza at some levels. What we've seen already since the spring is a return of uh, respiratory viruses. I frequently get calls uh, from patients who have had chest colds with fever, for example, uh, and um, uh, it's not uh, uh, COVID-19. So uh, I do think uh, we'll be seeing a return of a lot of the uh, respiratory viruses that can cause bronchitis, um, uh, sinus conditions, and so on. So. Uh, we'll see more influenza this coming uh, fall and winter. Now, whether we'll see major numbers, I think is hard to tell because I think with the Delta variant still somewhat active in many communities, people will be taking more cautions. Okay, great. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, can you please explain the conflicting information about the effectiveness of remdesivir? So the solidarity follow-up trial versus the others. Yeah, so I, I think this um, there is a bit of a difference uh, worldwide about the antiviral remdesivir. The ACT-1 trial uh, was a gold standard randomized controlled um, double-blind trial uh, against placebo, which did show a five-day improvement in the duration of illness for hospitalized patients that got remdesivir. Now, the trial of a little over 1,000 patients wasn't large enough uh, to show mortality, although there was a mortality trend. Uh, 
The solidarity trial was a pragmatic trial by the WHO. Uh, it did not have a placebo arm. Uh, so each arms were compared to one another. Remdesivir was one arm. For example, another was hydroxychloroquine. A third was uh, lopinavir, ritonavir. Um, so amongst uh, the four arms, there was no difference in mortality at 28 days. So their conclusion was remdesivir didn't work. Now, this trial was done in many countries and many in the remdesivir arm uh, was performed in Iran. So it, it may be that the healthcare there is a bit different than in North America. Uh, also, investigators were allowed to switch people out. So if they didn't like the arm that someone was in, they could switch to a different arm. And uh, there was not necessarily a lot of, uh, because it was a, a pragmatic trial without a lot of data collection, uh, unlike the NIH Act 1 trial, it was hard to know if there are certain subpopulations uh, which did benefit. For example, the ACT-1 trial really suggested that people who were on oxygen had the greatest benefit uh, in terms of uh, reducing illness with the remdesivir. So I remain a firm believer in remdesivir uh, for patients uh, that have um, COVID-19 that's severe enough. It's the only fully uh, FDA-approved medication currently for COVID-19. Uh, but of course, uh, people have done lots of other studies, um, including retrospective ones. We've done one at our institution, which uh, confirmed at least a two-day improvement uh, in terms of uh, duration of illness for patients that are hospitalized. So I, I think uh, the remdesivir uh, is something that uh, does have a place, um, but obviously yeah, people have some uh, differing opinions uh, depending on which trial they feel uh, most reflects their clinical practice. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Dr. Alwater, thank you again so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, tuning in this week. And uh, as always, we'll try to keep abreast of some of the uh, latest developments that might impact uh, the pandemic and your patients. Thanks so much for listening.